All right. <clears throat> Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater podcast number 21. Uh, very, very excited about the podcast today. Um, so the, the subject today is uh, Darkstalkers, you know, one, one of the all-time coolest uh, fighting game series. Uh, that series is very dear to, to my heart, and uh, we got uh, several guests today here, uh, too, that I'm very excited about. Um, it, you know, if, if you've been uh, following Art Eater, if you've been following the blog, you'll know the very first blog post I ever did was about uh, Darkstalkers and uh, how they applied the 12 principles of animation to it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lovely, beautiful, like super uh, important game to me. So very, very excited uh, about today's podcast. Um, yeah, so first uh, let's do a quick introduction of everyone. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm your host, Richmond. Uh, the founder of Art Eater, uh, started that blog back in uh, 2010, been working in games since uh, 2007, doing illustration, animation, 2D, 3D, wearing a lot of hats, and uh, today I run my own uh, game studio, so we make our own games and we do a lot of contract work too. Um, yeah, so, uh, and then we're here with uh, my, my co-host, uh, Sean. Uh, Hello. Uh, go ahead and say, introduce yourself, if there are any new listeners maybe. Uh, yes, uh, I'm Sean Borsky. Um, also, I uh, go way back working on uh, games with Richmond uh, back when we were in school together. Uh, I'm more of an interface designer and uh, UX specialist, although I've worked on uh, quite a few games. Uh, used to uh, work at startups, and then I worked uh, at Blizzard Entertainment for about five years, and uh, now I uh, lead up the design teams at uh, NZXT, which is a PC gaming company. Um, so yeah, here's here to talk uh, about games every day all the time. Yep, and uh, Sean also does a lot of the uh, hard work on the back end of these these podcasts. He's the guy that edits them together and makes sure they go online all right on all those different platforms. So yeah, thanks Sean. Thanks for keeping this running. Um, yep. Also with us is uh, our old friend James. Go way back to uh, art school together. Yeah, uh, I... <laughs> I got to know them through uh, mercilessly beating them in Street Fighter uh, <laughs> at a fighting game club. And, uh, you know, one conversation about, uh, I believe it was uh, Hiroyuki Okiura um, in terms of his animation. And me and Richmond have been friends ever since. Um, you know, I, we, we went to, to SCAD together. Uh, I am a freelance storyboard artist, comic artist. Uh, writer of and self-publisher of my own comics. I've done some small uh, freelance uh, storyboard work in South Korea. Uh, you know, I basically am creating my own project right now, uh, which is called Part-Time Shuffle. I post a lot about the development process for it on Twitter. Uh, so all, all various social media, Instagram. Uh, and I have an immense passion for uh, the art of fighting games. Uh, it's something that's been a huge uh, influence and impact on me, not only as someone who plays video games and appreciates video games as recreation, but also as works of art. And in a lot of that has inspired me as a creative as well. Uh, so I'm excited and honored to be here to uh, talk about one of the greatest artistic movements within uh, fighting games, which is Dog Stalkers. Yeah. Uh, happy to have you with us again. Uh, also with us is uh, Thomas, who I once called the uh, the voice of the fighting game scene in France. <laughs> Perhaps that was a little too much, but stop saying no. this. 
<laughs> the shame is that we, we have a, a very specific voice in France uh, with a commentator that uh, that is well known. His, his uh, nickname is uh, Ken Bogart. And uh, you probably heard about him. He's a very hype, uh, hype man in France. <laughs> and uh, so I'm Thomas. I'm a, I'm a fighting game player for 20 years now. I'm a web developer. And uh, on, the, on the side, I'm also a um, uh, fighting game journalist, if that such a thing exists. Uh, which means that I only write about fighting games. Uh, I've been doing this for ten years now, and um, and so I already I also own a, a website named uh, Bagopoint in French, which means uh, down fierce, because uh, shoryuken.com was already taken, so <laughs> I had to <laughs> find something quite uh, quite uh, similar, uh, where we write and do a lot of podcasts, and uh, I had to re-listen to my own podcast from seven years ago to prepare for this one, <laughs> because uh, we did one in French uh, years and years ago, so I'm super happy to, to be there today. Yeah, uh, very, very happy to have you with us. And then uh, we have a new guest today, uh, Adam. Uh, Adam is a, a good friend. He's a very, very good sprite artist and a accomplished martial artist in real life. Um, Adam, could you please introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. My name's Adam. I also go by AJ or AJ Mattis on Twitter. But yeah, it's just an absolute pleasure to be here. So I am an independent game and level designer, as well as pixel artist, as Richmond just mentioned. I'm also an international taekwondo fighting champion for all around Europe. I've been fighting for just over 13 years now. And yeah, like it's just uh, it's just so good to be here and be, to be able to speak about all these different ways that martial arts and visual arts sort of have been able to coincide with my own life and how it is that I feel about such a great game series such as Darkstalkers that I've been crazy about for over ten years now. And yeah, it just it just feels great to be able to have these experiences and speak about them. So I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure. Yes, yes, very very excited to to have you on board and uh, just you know be able to. Gosh, about this amazing game series. Um, yeah, so let's let's get into it. Uh, first, I'll just give a little bit of context. Um, so, so Darkstalkers, which is the Western title, uh, is a, a Capcom fighting game, uh, first released in uh, 1994. The Japanese title was uh, Vampire, uh, the Night Warriors. Um, and um, oh my gosh, like, so it was one of the first fighting games to have just like really really excellent like top-notch animation like like feature film quality like amazing animation and it, it just had like really outstanding art direction uh just at a glance it just stood out from everything else you know um so just for some context uh, street fighter 2 came out in 1991 you know that mm -hmm. just changed everything about games that kicked off the fighting game boom and just three short years later we we have Darkstalkers, like just a huge, if you compare the two, it's a huge jump. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, let's uh, let's just get into like everyone's first impression of the game. Um, you know, what, the first time you laid eyes on it. Um, who, who wants to go first? I will gladly go first. Okay. All right. So uh, my first encounter with Darkstalkers was, I remember I was reading, I think it was like a game fan magazine and, you know, Pre-internet, you know, words on paper was how you got a lot of information. Uh, if you didn't live uh, in in an arcade near an arcade in California or you know New York, uh, so whatever you saw in a magazine, you know, you took that for face value, and it was like, oh, Capcom's got this new project. 
you know, a new fighting game that has uh, classic, iconic, like, horror characters in it. And, you know, I was like, what? Like, this just seemed so out of left field at the time because there was no crossover games. Like, none of this stuff was going on. So I was like, that seems weird. You know, that seems like, you know, in my head, it was like, that sounds like some kind of Eternal Champions type shit. Like, am I going to be okay with this? Am I going to be into it? I was like, I don't know. Uh, and I was kind of, like, scared of, like, horror stuff as a kid. Um, I mentioned this on Twitter. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, they used to do this thing called Kung Fu Theater on uh, WNUV TV 54. And right after, it was, like, Saturday Horror. And the moment that that font, that logo, the creepy music came on, I would leave the room, like, shut the TV off. Like, I just didn't want anything to do with it. I was really <laughs> afraid of, like, scary stuff. Like, I, I kind of felt like Friday the 13th was real. Like, I felt like every Friday the 13th, Jason Voorhees actually went out and killed people in the woods. So every Friday the 13th, I did not grow outside to play. Like, I was freaked out as a kid of anything, like, horror-related. So I was kind of, like, dejected from it. But I saw it in an arcade. And at the time, there was nothing animating like that in an arcade except for, like, what, I don't know, like, an old cabinet of, like, Dragon's Lair. You know, so to see that kind of animation with fighting games, and I was already into fighting games at the time, it was mesmerizing. To, to look at like just even the uh attract mode just looking at the characters fight each other so like i saw it in arcade i immediately ran to it i didn't care if it was 25 cents 50 cents i was i'm gonna play and the moment i looked at the character celeste screen it was like this feels like a capcom game it's like the layout right but it's trying something different um so i'm looking at it and i'm like wow this is really just beautiful like i'm just scrolling through like, man, I have not seen anything animate like this before. And it's like, I get to control this? Like, I feel like this is something that you would see in an opening of a game, let alone an actual game. So I picked Dimitri just because, you know, y'all. I always pick the Ryu of any game when I first start out because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And the minute I pick my character and it shows me who I have to fight, and there's always like a versus jingle it sit chills down my spine. That was like the creepiest set of sounds I've ever heard in my life. And keep in mind, I'm hitting the buttons as I'm waiting. So their mm-hmm. idle animations speed up. You know, it's kind of like in Super Turbo when the, uh, the motion graphics behind the character portraits, when you push buttons, they, they, they speed up. But this time, the idle animations speed up. So that looked scary as hell to me. I was like, oh, God, what the hell am I getting into? But, you know, I just hit some buttons and it was just like, holy crap, this is a beautiful game. Like, I don't know what I'm doing yet. Like, I figured out, like, chain combos a little bit, but it was just like, wow, this game is awesome. And then I ended up leaving, and because it was, like, a limited sort of release, not release in the U.S., but just in general in terms of arcades, you just didn't see it. So it was, like, a rare treat. And I remember telling my friends about it, and they're like, they almost thought I was lying. They were like, this game doesn't exist. It's not out yet. And I was like, nah, dude, I've played it. Like, and it's <laughs> really cool. And then, like, I think a couple of months later, they saw it in some random mall. It was never where we lived. It was always, like, some other state or far off somewhere. And they would be like, oh, dude, I saw it. Man, that game is kind of cool. I don't know what I'm doing, but, like, man, that game is cool. So then it came out on consoles. And, uh, you know, I messed around with it a lot um, to a point that I started to understand a little bit of how to play it. And my friends were like, yeah, this is way too beyond. I don't know what's going on. Like, you're beating the hell out of us. Like, I don't know what to do. Uh, Because at this time, overheads weren't. (laughs) <laughs> Overheads weren't really a thing in yeah. like 2D Capcom fighting games. Like, and if they were, the startup on them was significant enough that like, if you saw it and you had a keen eye, you could react to it. But in Dog Stalkers, 
overheads are like a surprise party. They happen super quick. <laughs> and it changes the pace of what you're used to in terms of offense assessment and defense assessment. So if you're not ready for that, it can be extremely intimidating initially. But for me, I was like, this game is exciting as hell. Like, I can really play fast, so to speak. Uh, and in my head, I mean, I rushed down in Alpha 2 at the time, and that's kind of far-fetched for some people. So they were already like, James is a nut, but this game allows him to be more of a nut than I prefer. So I don't know if I'm going to play this. <laughs> so I ended up kind of playing it by myself and, like, enjoying, like, story mode and, like, the cinema, the cut scenes and the openings and stuff, and just really seeing it as a cool animation piece where I could do cool combos and stuff. So for me, it was just like, man, this game is art, and I and I really appreciated initially. I mean, that's how I feel about like the first game. It was just like a experiment that Capcom was doing that was going to be a catalyst for games in the future, mm. and this just happened to be the game where they put the most ducats in initially and like mm -hmm. it it's it's had a huge influence on like my life as a person who enjoys games and enjoys art yeah but you know that's that what is interesting about this game is that it's um it's almost an ego project for capcom at the time it mean yeah. what i mean by what i mean by that is that when we are in uh, in 1994, like uh, like Richmond said, uh, try to imagine it. You have Super Turbo uh, the same year. Virtua Fighter came out the year before, uh, and I think the closest release uh, that we can remember that came out near Darkstalkers, uh, Vampire, the first one was World Heroes Jet, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so Al Street Fighter Alpha and Children of the Atom were not uh, out yet. They they all came out in '94, but they were they were not uh, out at, at this moment. And the reason why Capcom did this game is because they were uh, starting to have a little how to say that they, they didn't like being you know this single game company, this single fighting game company. And the, on the side there was SNK doing all sort of series, all sort of experiments. And uh, Capcom was like, okay, we, we can't we can't change Street Fighter because Street Fighter is earning a lot of money. They were super scared of changing it. And so they decided they, they had to do something, but to crush, you know, the, the, the um, SNK and all the fighting games, they decided they had to uh, innovate without copying without uh, copying them. So that was, you know, a, a thin line to... to, to uh, there, were, there was just a, a small space where they had to find a way to innovate. And uh, the way they, 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 they innovated was that the CPS2, so the arcade board that runs uh, Vampire, uh, Vampire is the first uh, release I think about with a, a CPS2, uh, CPS2, sorry, I, I speak in French, CPS2 um, arcade board. And so it's the first game that has this CPS2 touch and feel that we, uh, that a lot of people can recognize. Uh, and I think the, the Alpha series has this touch too. I think James will agree on that. And so the, the, yeah. the what was super, super strange that they had the contract with Marvel. They were trying to do SF3, but they were way too stressed about Street Fighter than in the that instead they made a Street Fighter Alpha. And so they were like, okay, 
what do we do? And they were saying we had to prove that CPS2 is the best. We have to prove that we are the best. And so they decided that it was going to be the technical aspect of the game that should uh, impress everyone. Because on the on the side, SNK was doing a lot of games, but they they were not all look-alike, but they had the same, you know, uh, animation uh, limitations and things like that. So they were they were saying, what can we do that will allow us to make good animations, to twist uh, characters and movements and things like that? And so the the idea of using monsters came from this, you know, ambition, this technical ambition to have a new context, new something. Because if you look at all the fighting games at this period, all were Street Fighter-like. It was always like Karateka Boys and uh, things like that. And outside games, very, very funny and stupid games like World Heroes, where you can have, a, I don't know, Mecha Hitler against a pirate. Uh, <laughs> it, it was all humans' characters. And so the, the fact that they, they went this direction was to be able to show that they can be better than all their um, all the other companies and uh, the the um, the going on in the in this cartoon aesthetics was also a way to say okay we can also differentiate uh, our game from the others because we don't take humans as main characters yeah now, do, do you remember your, your personal reaction upon like first seeing this game? <laughs> so you're going to be very disappointed because I think the first time I saw a, a vampire character, it was Morrigan Sprite in Capcom versus SNK2. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the infamous Sprite. Which is oh. the worst way? <laughs> Go to your room, <laughs> Thomas. Go to your room. <laughs> and, uh, I've already oh, seen... Wow. You know, the, oh, no. the, at the time, you know, uh, it should... Which I should say it, the, the the vampire series is not a huge commercial success for Capcom. It's uh, it's good enough in Japan uh, as a niche game, but it was it never it was never big. The the, the big games were Street Fighter and the X Men series, uh, and in Europe. I think the, those games, they, they, I'm not even sure they, they came out, you know, officially or, or that they were distributed a lot, a lot. Because I remember seeing a lot of arcade games when I was young, but I never saw um, uh, a vampire uh, game in arcades. I saw uh, Street Fighter, I saw King of Fighter, I saw a lot of other, uh, a lot of Tekken and things like that, but never vampire. So I. Yeah. Kind of learned vampire uh, way later when I, after playing oh, okay. Gear, someone tell, told me, hey, uh, you know, vam vampire savior is like the, the, the guilty gear grandpa. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. So I went and uh, really enjoyed it. But <laughs> so I didn't oh, have okay. an incredible yeah, I, reaction to it. I, I didn't realize how fortunate I was because um, I, my, my first time seeing Darkstalkers was uh, to totally random. I, I, I don't know if I even read about it in EGM or an old magazine. Like, I was at my friend's house, and his older sister uh, came home, and she wasn't particularly in, into games or anything, but she was like, you guys got to go to the arcade. Like, there's this really cool new game. And we're like, what, really? She was like, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like Street Fighter, but you have, like, Dracula and Frankenstein. I was like, ooh, that sounds good, right? <laughs> so, like, again, like, she, she was just, like, sort of, like, casually into games and stuff. Like, uh, you know, games weren't super mainstream back then. Um, and I remember we were just like, okay, we head to the mall. And then 
gosh, I, I remember approaching that cabinet and, and taking a look at the screen and just, oh, the animation just like leapt off the screen. Like it, it just like beamed itself into my soul. Like it, it was just like the most nicely animated video game I've ever seen. Because, you know, um, like b before that game, um, uh, you know, Street Fighter 2 had like a very particular look. And like you were saying, like there were wackier fighting games like World Heroes, you know, by then Fatal Fury, Samurai Showdown, uh, lots of other fighting games were out. They all had that sort of, um, you know, they had like a foot in like sort of the 80s painterly style, like kind of rigid animations. And then this game like just kind of blew the doors off with the movement. Like it, it just looked and moved so nice. Like it didn't look like anything I'd ever seen before, especially in games. Um, uh, uh, James, uh, uh, I'd say, uh, uh, Sean, uh, Adam, I'd, I'd love to hear like your, your, your first impressions of the game, too. Cool, I'll, I'll hop in. Uh, yeah, so I am about 24 years old right now, actually. So basically, the game itself, when I first saw it, it was literally right around the time that Richmond released his own article about it. So that was just about <laughs> over 10 years ago this year now. So it's quite it's quite wild just to just think about that. But yeah, so I was about I was just I was just finishing up a first little area of um, high school actually. Yeah, so the last part of high school, and a friend of mine he was telling me about this really cool game that he'd seen online, and he knew that I was interested in fighting games and into interested in everything related to martial arts because as I mentioned before, I'd been training in taekwondo for years and years at that point. I began back when I was like nine years old, and at that time, I must have been about just about 15, 16, so it had already been a few years. So I actually ended up doing a bit of research into it just because I loved the actual pixel art animation, just the way that so many of the characters moved with such a interesting fluidity that I'd never seen like in pixel art before. And in doing so, I actually ended up stumbling upon Richmond's article, and then that actually spurred me on to, you know, check out the game even more. So there was a... Um, there's an expo in Manchester, is where I'm from in England, called them Play Expo. And that at the time was like every year, near the end of every year. And I went with one of my best friends. And that that year was a very special moment for me because that was the first time I actually got actually got to put my hands on the game and play it. And I was on that I was on that one little um, PlayStation for about maybe like three hours, maybe. It was ridiculous. Like just he he and I we were just on that little setup for a very very long time just um yeah just playing each other playing with the people that would pass by letting other people you know play and us just watching just taking turns with all of the people that were passing by the little venue area and it was it was brilliant just like how you mentioned there how when you first see it the visual splendor sort of like soaks up your eyes and imprints itself on your soul like you said then it's it's absolutely the same thing like wh when i first saw John Talbain moving around, doing his kicks, doing his beast cannon, which is one of my favorite moves in like all the fighting games. Yeah, it's just um, it does something to you. I think it, it shows you that like better is possible, but in a way that like you don't even fully understand or expect the first time that you see it. If that makes sense, it, it like yeah, you said, yeah. it blows the doors off the expectations that you previously had. It just um, completely ups the game. And as you um, as Thomas mentioned earlier just then, um, yeah, it's one of the things where. If you are not familiar with a game that has characters that are, again, just like such wacky, zany, sort of interesting supernatural beasts and creatures, instead of them just being regular human beings, it's something which you could, it's something which you could imagine in your own mind. But seeing it in front of you, seeing the, the levels of like the flavor, the rich texture, all of the different ways that they you know, express themselves, their personalities, seeing all of that come to the forefront through their own moves and 
even through their own intro animations and stuff like that as well just even through their own idols as mentioned previously yeah it's just um it's fantastic and from that moment on i was i was basically obsessed and that was basically 10 years ago so back in 2010 so um yeah it's uh, it's really interesting thinking about how it is uh, that one series even though again it might not be the most financially um beneficial for capcom it's definitely left its mark in a very very interesting and unique way definitely yes oh man that's so cool to hear like i i, I love hearing your perspective because um uh you know it, it, this isn't like a nostalgia thing for you like you, you discovered the game um you know like uh, well, well after it had already been released mm -hmm. and like there's much more powerful technology now but but it much. still had this appeal yeah yeah, it, the original game came out um, in Japan before I was even alive. Yeah, so in arcade, oh it came goodness. out in 1994. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wasn't even I wasn't even alive then. But yeah, um, PlayStation version came out the year that I was born. Again, like before me. Uh, <laughs> wow. but yeah, so it, it's quite wild, isn't it? Yeah, just how much yeah. something can sort of again, although it might not be on Street Fighter levels of popularity, it's absolutely mm. still able to find a place in the heart of creatives all around the world, and it's it, it's definitely just again, it's left its mark there. And I hope that other people might listening to this might be you know just find that finding it out for the first time on their own just to dive in it, it's it's worth it oh man uh sean sean uh, do you remember the first time you saw dark stalkers uh yeah so i have to tell you like a little bit of backstory of the me around this time so i i had um i don't think i actually saw this game in arcades until probably well into college um and i forget where i saw it but originally so the story part is, um, I had a, at this time in like 95, I, or, you know, 90s, I had a Sega Genesis. And mm -hmm. I was playing uh, Sonic, Contra, Echo the Dolphin. Um, <laughs> and it, there's an important through line here, which is like, I was playing all these animated games, fighting games, everything like that. And then uh, I used to have a friend in my neighborhood that, I don't know if y'all ever like had like, Back when, like, at least in Virginia, where I was at the time, basements were, like, a thing. Uh, that's where you played video games. You played video games in the basement. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I would go over to his basement because he had... Oh, yeah, those are home arcades, man. Yeah. Home yep. arcades, yeah. <laughs> uh, he had, a, he had a, just gotten a Sega Saturn. Um, oh. Wow. And uh, he, uh, he had a... I think it was uh, Dark Soccer's Revenge, the, the version of it. And he's like, oh, I just got this new game in it. And you like, you, you need really like two players. It's not fun without it. Um, and of course, like I had come from this giant string of cartoon looking games and I uh, started, he started it up and I actually like have a very vivid memory of, you know, the, the opening shot of John Talbane where he's just doing the, the uh, very iconic, like shadow roar as the, uh, the werewolf. Oh yeah. Oh, howling from the moon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it's just the pan of all the characters and like, uh, and yes. like my immediate thing is I was like, this looks like a Saturday morning cartoon, which something I'm sure we'll talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, th that was kind of my, my immediate kind of thought is I had, I've been playing all these games and um, I, I definitely had played quite a bit of Street Fighter at that point. But uh, yeah, it's your point. I like it. It was just like, it felt so cartoony. And uh, I was, I've never really like been afraid of horror stuff. I've always just found it really fun and stuff like that. And I, I, immediately you're like recognized uh the certain archetypes but i was like oh i was like oh the like uh you kind of start picking up on i was like oh this is a weird looking like mummy and like that that like snowman looking thing is super short like you know so i was just really like in love with how, how kind of 
I wouldn't say goofy is the right word, but I, I enjoyed a style. I was, I was like, oh, this is like playing a Saturday morning cartoon. Like I, I could already imagine it um, similar to a lot of stuff that I watch on Saturday morning. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of my, my first uh, reaction to it was just. Uh, and then, of course, we start playing it. Uh, the way everyone moves is, uh, I think someone else, you, you all said kind of fluid, but there's something about how yeah. most of the characters kind of, uh, they don't just like hit you or come across the screen, like their whole body moves across the screen. Like very few of them, we were talking about, act like people. Uh, they all feel like creatures. They did a really good job with feeling that. And all of them have such different, um, different like heights and, and weights and stuff like that. Uh, and all the the effects that at the time, like to me, having having come from playing a game like Echo the Dolphin, which is a great looking game, but it doesn't like Genesis animation isn't uh, quite as complex in most of the games we're talking about. Like your Contras and your Sonics, like they have good stuff, but nothing like a hand drawn style of sprite animation feels. So for me, it was like a, a mesmerizing thing, and I. Uh, I think I was also playing a little bit of Art of Fighting, so I really loved this big, for lack of a better term, this big, like, sprite level style where they used to kind of do cinematics that way. Like, that was my jam. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it, to me, it was just all about the this, like, uh, dark cartoon style, uh, which is, like I said, very different than other fighting games for me. But uh, I think uh, I also... Um, I think we also, as a friend, started just playing uh, the Lunar uh, game on Saturn, mm -hmm. which also has got like a very animated vibe to it. So like, just, just a lot of games on Saturn at the time that we were like, whoa, just the animation and how good everything looks is so much more fleshed out. Like it just, it, we we kind of felt it as kids, but it was like hard to wrap our mind around why uh, everything just felt better crafted on a lot of the Saturn games we were playing. So I'm kind of sad that the Saturn didn't uh, do better, but uh, <laughs> uh, that was kind of. <laughs> Uh, where I came at it from. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think uh, th that's what I want to focus on today uh, as we talk about just the artistry behind the game. Like, it, it's just such a, a visually uh, beautiful game. Like, the, the, the first game, as, as Thomas uh, said, uh, it was really like a flex, right? It was like they really wanted to show what they could do. You know, they, they, they popularized fighting games with Street Fighter Two. And then they wanted to follow it up with something to show, like, hey, we're still on top, right? And um, uh, oh my gosh, like the the animation in the game was just on another level. Um, so I, I believe it was it was uh, Akiman who really pushed for this sort of like traditional animation feel to it, because um, uh, before this, uh, game animation was very functional, right? Like um, uh, hardware back then was very limited. Uh, you know, limited by memory and RAM, especially. So, um, you know, old, older games, especially on NES, you know, Mega Drive, Super Nintendo, they just didn't have that much memory for uh, animation. Um, and then I guess with the CPS2, that opened things up a little bit. Um, it's still, you know, super limited. I mean, like, if you take a photo uh, with your phone today, that's, like, probably bigger than the entire uh, Darkstalkers ROM. But um, they, they, they absolutely maximized like, what they could do with the game. And uh, uh, one of the things uh, I think that if you want to get into technically like how um, big of a jump it was, so there, there were like smoothly animated games before, right? Like, do you guys remember like stuff like, uh, I don't know, Flashback or like Prince of yeah. Persia? 
right? Yes, of course. Like very smoothly animated, but the controls were very like slow, right? It, it was like you, you pressed something and then you waited like a long time for the character to finish the action, right? Uh, so I, I think something that Darkstalkers solved that was like really brilliantly was uh, basically how to do really smooth animation also with very smooth controls. Um, and this was like right at the beginning of 3D animation too. So like no one had quite figured this out yet. Like early 3D games were pretty clunky as well. Um, so actually th this was a conscious thing. If, if you, if you um, I'm holding the Darkstalkers official complete works right now. And I'm looking at the interview with uh, Akiman. And he, he basically, um, I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase. I won't read what he says. But he basically says the way they got the animation real fluid was they um, concentrated on, on follow through. So which is the idea that like you, you do the main action and then like you have a lot of secondary stuff happen afterwards, right? So like, you know, this is one of the things the game excels at, right? Like, like Dimitri throws a punch, but then like it kind of reverberates through his cape, right? Like Felicia slashes with her arm and then like her poofy hair kind of moves with it. Um, because of this, they could have the actions come out very fast, like immediately, and then have a lot of extra animation for the follow through. That's that's why the game felt so smooth, but also so like responsive. Like that, that was yeah. very kind of good. That's, that's something that I, I felt like the first time I was like testing out normal attacks. Like, you know, when I played Street Fighter, like when you did a fierce punch, the sound mm. of it and the recoil or the real stun rather gave you the experience of, okay, this is a hard attack. So in terms of functional animation, it gets the job done and you feel that experience and that's all you know at the time. But when I played Dogstalkers and I did a heavy attack, it was like inexperience. It was almost it was like it was like a movie within like two or three seconds because you're seeing the animation, you know, follow through with, you know, articles of clothing, but also the the impact of the hit in terms of like the imp the, the particle effect animation, which was larger and more vibrant than any other game at the time, but also the dramatic acting of a character in real stun. Um, you know, because it wasn't just characters being pushed back. It was their body reacting to the movement in a way that hadn't been done before. Because a lot of animation in Street Fighter 2, when someone got hit, it was like maybe a few frames of them reeling back and then the sprite being pushed horizontally, you know, across the screen. And Dollstalker's characters are shaking, they're convulsing, like they're doing all these unique animations that you just hadn't seen before. So it gave them an opportunity to allow the characters to... Uh, emote or act, you know, the, the, the body acting that's going on in the game, it really made you feel the uh, intensity of attacks. Like, if Bishamon cuts you, it's like, I felt like I was cutting the character. Yeah. You know, um, hmm. it, the, these, are, these are things that, to me, at least within the, the spectrum of what Capcom's body of work was at the time, this was fresh and new. Um, you know, I mean, because even in the alpha games, like, the animation isn't quite as uh warm or lively as dog yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that, that's normal that's due to the um, to the um, the fact that they had to copy past a little bit the 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 street fighter 2 sprites to do the alpha ones and it was on purpose for because of budget and uh, development time and things like that so that's the reason why you right. you feel that oh, actually let's, yeah wait, 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 wait. okay let's go on a tangent here uh, um, <laughs> no! alpha. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. 
Okay, so an uh, interesting factoid about Alpha One was the first, the initial launch of it was actually CPS One. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It was made on their older arcade mm -hmm. board. Um, mm -hmm. One of the reasons they made CPS Two in the first place was the CPS One was very easy to to bootleg. Um, so they, you know, they made like a more advanced board, uh, and of course technology had improved by then. So they they had all sorts of technical improvements, but. Um, Alpha 1, even though the CPS-2 was already out and already implemented for Super Street Fighter 2 and Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, uh, they made Alpha 1 essentially to, to unload the remaining CPS-1 boards. That, that was sort of the main commercial concern. And then um, because of that, they just made the game very quickly and they were actually given a lot of freedom uh, to make the game. Um, so that, that's why, the, especially the very first Alpha 1, like it's actually technically on less powerful hardware than the last Street Fighter 2 games. And uh, yeah, it, it probably didn't have as much like memory and stuff for the uh, animation, especially the stages. They're, they're way simpler uh, than the uh, CPS2 games. I don't yeah. even think there's any uh, parallax animation in yeah. the majority of the stages in Alpha 1. I think there's like one or two that actually have like uh, consistent ones. And I may be remembering this wrong. It might be the same stage, but like a <laughs> palette swap of color. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of animation. I think there's a, there's Nash's state. Well, Charlie, I'm sorry. I don't want to be a weeb here. Charlie's stage uh, <laughs> has, you know, people moving around. And there's, like, a animation for, like, coins hitting the ground. Mm. But then outside of that, the only animation I can think of is the uh, the grandma waiting for the mailman in front of uh, across the street from Sansan, which is, like, Guy and Ryu stage. And then there's a cat for the Coliseum stage. All right. right. Like, that's, that's, I think that's of course, all yeah. of the... Uh, parallax animation that's in that game and if you look at like yeah. alpha 2 and other games like there's a whole world happening in the background so it makes sense that alpha 1 uh somehow can be crammed into cps1 i still think that's like a the masterful achievement to be able to yeah. put alpha 1 on cps1 because that's a beautiful game yeah it is it All is right, so, but, uh, back, back to dark stalkers um uh so i'm, I'm reading through the uh official complete works. They said the first animation they ever did was actually Felicia's um, uh, hit animation where she falls on the ground. Um, oh, wow. And if, if, if wow. you're listening, uh, you can go to uh, fightersgeneration.com. It's a great, great website. Uh, they, they, they have uh, profiles for like just about every character from every mainstream fighting game you could think of. Um, and they have uh, uh, animated sprites. So if you go to look up Felicia, go to page five. Um, you can see her animation, and she's, uh, you know, she flies through the air. Like, in, in, in Street Fighter 2, like, it's pretty standard, right? The character kind of just goes through the air, lands on the ground, they're already on their back. Felicia goes through the air, flips over, lands um, chest first, you know, squashes and flattens, and then bounces back up a little bit, and then comes back down again. And there's, like, it's, it's just so lively. Like, it's so different from... Uh, your standard game animations from, uh, you know, that that era, right? Definitely uh, is definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, just to give some context, so Darkstalkers was 1994. Um, so uh, a big influence on it was, um, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it's a Japanese game. You're going to have a lot of manga and anime influences. Um, uh, visually, of course, uh, you know, they, they, they said like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure was a big one. And of course, like Dragon Ball, they said that was like required reading at the time. But um, Disney films were actually a huge influence on the exact mm. way 
be animated. Uh, you know, and I, I, I wrote that article years ago about this, the uh, Dark Stalkers and the Twelve Principles of Animation. Uh, yeah, feel free to look that up. But um, uh, th that was a huge influence. And so 1994, that would have been at the, the, the height of the Disney revival, right? Like Disney went through sort of a dark period in the 80s. They didn't have very many uh, commercially successful films. And then um, that changed in 89 with The Little Mermaid. Uh, and then they, they followed that up in 91 with Beauty and the Beast, which was just a humongous hit. Uh, I think it was even nominated for like Best Picture. Uh, and then 92, there was Aladdin. And then 1994, the year of Darkstalkers, would have been um, Lion King. So that, you know, this was an era of like very smooth, uh, so, rich, uh, traditional. Re that's referenced as the golden era of Disney that I believe extends from Little Mermaid until Tarzan. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and then in in the world of anime from 1990 to 1994, there would have been at least two Dragon Ball movies every year, too. So, like, uh, martial arts, anime, and manga was, like, at, at the peak of popularity, too. So, you know, this game's such an interesting mix of, of all of that. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a really nice collective, like, celebration of animation. Uh, what was popular at the time, but also being expressed in a way that is significantly specific to the team uh, at Capcom. Like, it, it was a unique experience, even with its influences. It still felt like something that was on its own. Because, it, to me, there was nothing out, like, a, as a fighting game like it. Uh, I mean, you know, looking at animation like uh, like, Futsal, like uh, Phobos or, like, Hutzel, uh, mm. I mean that character literally is like an 80s anime mech yeah. without like all of the fixings of that conventional like aesthetic but you uh, yeah. feel it with uh the way that that character animates uh i mean the sound design i mean you know masanori honda like just did the damn thing like i mean he made it he he specifically put certain sounds in this game that are just you don't hear them in anime anymore but they are significantly and specifically very anime in terms of a particular era. And you feel that when someone falls down, you feel that experience. And it's one of the first times that I had that experience because they believe, yeah, because Coda wasn't out. X-Men wasn't out. Mm. Uh, so having these experiences with this game, it was like, oh my God, like, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm playing a fighting game anime that is not a fighting game anime. You know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. like you're you're playing something that's a completely different experience, but there's certain Definitely. feelings that you're getting that are specific to that, and it made for an awesome experience where my 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 eyes are exploding, my ears are exploding because all of this is fresh and all of this is new, but somehow familiar, and that's something that uh, really it it presses on through other games within their body of work after this, but this was like the beginning of it, and. Yeah. Um, you know, it just holds a, a particularly special place in my heart. Um, something, if I could. Oh, yeah, ahead. yeah, yeah, of course. I was just gonna say, if I could, just very quickly, just one of my favorite things about exactly what you just said there, a couple of times actually, about when characters fall over or when they get like a knockdown state. Like mm -hmm. each one of the characters has such specific and unique animations when they fall, but it's all for the same exact outcome. Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Oh, naturally, a lot of characters and a lot of games will have this anyway, but in Darkstalkers, they just feel so specific and so unique. Like, even, for example, 
when um, people like John Talbain fall over, the way they kind of like look up and they, it's it's the shock on their face. It's a kind of yeah. it's a, it's the shagginess of the fur. When Morrigan falls over again, it's a kind of like it's that frazzled look. It's that shock. Or even for example, when she loses, like all of the bats, like when she's lying down, they sort of like fly above her, like they're checking on her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like making sure that oh wait, is she gonna get back up again? Like is she down for real? Like what's up? Like the bats are just like floating above because like they need to be commanded and told what to do. Like it's those little touches that really make it stick in your heart and in your mind. So I just wanted to mention that very shortly. Yeah, it just reminds me of uh, Sasquatch has the X's for eyes with the tongue laying out when he lands. Exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 Every every action is just like a little short film. <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. just delightful. There's something that's interesting about this game too is that the the aesthetics of the first game, and I mean really the, the first first one is super different even from the, the episodes that came after. Because if you just watch, for example, the, um, the, the, the character select screen, like when you, when you move the cursor on each character, each character has a small animation inside the, the box that is inside. Mm -hmm. And it's super, yeah, that, that's, that almost looks like you know the, the the small animations you will see in a in an anime opening or something like that when mm. there's a lot of characters you know and uh, but so that there's this thing but there's also the portraits uh, that are shown uh, at the bottom of the screen and even if you look at the old the the first game uh, artworks I think it was by uh, Akiman and Bengus I think it was Bengus and oh, yeah, sure. definitely Bengus. It, it was Bengus. If you look at them, they are very, very horrific. And the, 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 fur, the, the, the one of the things that I love the, the most in this game, in this aesthetic, is that Morrigan is like the, a succubus, so creature from the night and st stuff like mm -hmm. that. And in, the, in Hunter and Savior and all games after that, she's more of a... Um, I'm a sexy, you know, sexy succubus, sexy, uh, no, a bit of, ah, like yeah. yeah, very seductive, but she's not frightening at all. Like she doesn't look like the, 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 the succubus that's going to, to kill you, you know? <laughs> and in this first game, she's actually a bit frightening because she has the eyebrows and the, 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 the eye bags and things like yes. that. And, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, like it's, a very very different take on the the, the kind of femme fatale uh, archetype that we we know in fighting games even today and uh, i really really love that and uh, the all characters if you look at the the, the, the their portraits in the in the first game they all are very special in the way they are drawn they 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 are fantastic and they are they are attractive, but they are also a bit you know frightening. Like maybe frightening, maybe for just like James was frightened by the the logo, you know about the <laughs> about it. So that that's something that disappeared in the in the sequels. Like after that, uh, they that's went more the more yeah. cartoonic, way more cartoon uh, aesthetics, even in cutscenes and uh, intros and select screens and things like that. But in the first game. It's really a kind of horror game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I just want to expand on one of your comments. The the eye bags. Mm. Um, there's actually an interview. They get right into that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Aki man. Um, 
Okay, so so Akiman, he appointed Vengus uh, uh, as the main illustrator for this game. Like he 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 really really liked Vengus's artwork. This was the first game where Vengus uh, really got to shine, and he said, um, okay. He said uh, he did the face portraits for the character selection screen. And did you notice the bags under Morgan's eyes? I love that. When I saw that, I was like, this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. portion of the dev team was against the idea, but intentional bags under the eyes has become a relatively normal part of the gothic aesthetic expression right now. I think um, it's actually become like a mainstream look. Like in Japan, I've seen makeup tutorials like how to emphasize eye bags. But, but back then, it was like a weird thing to emphasize. It really worked. <laughs> yeah. I think, it's, I think it's so interesting just thinking about all of this because like all of these different choices and designs, like <laughs> they come from the name of the character herself. Like Morrigan is actually like a crow goddess's name in, in Celtic mythology. So it's like she's a figure in Irish mythology, and like the name in modern Irish, anyway, could be translated as like Great Queen or like Phantom Queen. So mm. like it's really interesting just hearing about like the ways in which like this has been turned into such an interesting character. Because again, like this character is so powerful in the story. Like one's character, like the the strength itself is like it's very integral to Morrigan's like birth story, as well as when you found out sort of like what she is or more about why she is the way that she is and things like that. But it's actually quite interesting because um, initially she's supposed to be much more cute much more kind of like cutesy and a little bit like submissive almost but uh, a producer on the game Alex Jimenez said um, basically that Morrigan themselves was supposed to be a bit more sexual a bit more sensual and then they decided obviously to stick with that and really try and push it later on and yeah it's just interesting hearing about how everyone sort of you know noticed that and then thought about the actual changes from the very first game that we're all talking about now and then obviously how we you know see the visual changes later on it's just it's very nice to hear it's cool yeah yeah, um, uh, interesting thing about uh, the way they developed the game, it, it was very collaborative. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's the, the easiest thing to identify is like, okay, Bengus was the illustrator on this piece, right? Ikeno did this piece, but um, as far as like the actual character development, the design, uh, very, very collaborative process. Like, yeah, Aunt, Akiman was the art director, but, but everyone had input. Um, and uh, famously, um, I think Alex Jimenez is, is credited as coming up with the idea for the game. He, he was, I, I think he was a producer in uh, at Capcom of America, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Yeah, th there's a story about this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, was, I was gonna mention as part of that, like, I know was, I think it was his idea also to use the Universal Pictures monsters for it, which was, I don't know the exact story about why they couldn't get the rights, but I think it's actually uh, something Similar, we were talking about that you can see in uh, that we really liked about games like Guilty Gear. Where one thing I always really liked about it was they kind of tell you the archetype of the monster that they they kind of shifted away from. Like obviously we can't use actual Frankenstein, but you you know we can <laughs> we can't use an actual werewolf. But I really uh, love the like they could have honestly just done a werewolf like Frankenstein, a vampire. But this like extension they did where they were like, well it's the werewolf, but it's John Talbane. Uh, you know, it's like, it's a vampire, but it's Dimitri. Like, the there's so much personality behind the archetype that you kind of, um, like, you know, Morgan is the succubus. Like, they kind of, that like, to AJ's point, they didn't have to put uh, so much into um, how they referenced them and what the name was. Uh, but, you know, like, obviously these people really, uh, really give a shit about this stuff and really love well-crafted um 
<laughs> kind of characterization and background. And again, similar to Guilty Gear, it fleshes them out in a very believable way that you, you kind of pick up on. Um, and you don't feel at all when you're watching it. These are, these are like based on universal monsters just because they couldn't get the license. You feel like, oh, clearly they were inspired by this and they wanted to make cool monsters. But uh, actually for a while when I was first playing it, um, I did not make the connection for a long time that these were uh, like horror archetypes. I just thought they were horror like, you know, characters. Um, so I just think it's something that's always really impressed me about uh, Capcom in general, actually. Oh, so you, you just kind of readily accepted them as that character, right? Not like, oh, that's Dracula, that's Frankenstein, that's the whole thing. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like um, yeah. I, I am... Uh, I'm basically like a, I don't know why I'm like a dog and cat player. I just play John Talbain and Felicia. But, uh, <laughs> nice. I, I, I wasn't like, I'm, not, I'm into werewolves or anything, or this is solely werewolf. I was, I just, uh, I loved the look and I, I um, love his super annoying uh, dragon punch attack, but it had nothing to oh, do yeah. with like recognizing what the archetype was. Uh, I didn't know what a succubus was. <laughs> like I was just kind of uh, really into the feel of the characters and they have so much personality. Um, I, I was never good at Sasquatch, but I always loved like, like how you know he does like he like does the wind up where he cir- he like he like literally he like a cartoon punch. does the big punch and like I said he has the X's for eyes. So I yeah. like I said the the characters really felt you know three D to me, uh, and I like it was a long time. It was years later that I learned about the the, the bit of the backstory around the, the history of how what they originally wanted to do with the the monster roster. Ah okay. Uh, Thomas, do you want to go into sort of the the official backstory for um, for how the game was conceived? Could, could you tell um, us that? I don't have a lot, but I know that the game was made um, around. Uh, uh, they, they had one year, I think, to make the game. So oh that's not. Gosh. So that's not a lot, but that's yeah. not too short too. So that's uh, because considering that there's only 10 playable characters and two bosses, it's not, you know, a full like 40 characters roster or things like that. But uh, that's still very, very impressive uh, when you think about it. Um, and about the, the, the backs, the, the way they thought about the game, what is interesting is that Sean just said I didn't identify that it, they were, you know, arch- monster archetypes. Um, and maybe that's because too, um, when they made the game, just as I said before, they wanted to be Street Fighter 2 without being Street Fighter 2. And that's very, very, uh, that's very hard to, to, you know, evolve your formula without copying the, the good ideas that the others had. And, uh, that's the reason why, um, when you play this game, you feel the the shadow of other characters behind them when you play when you play morrigan it's like it's like you you jump and make fireballs it's like akuma when you play dimitri you you feel that uh, there's the 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 ryu you know archetype behind you play felicia she goes in balls and things like that okay that's blanca and things like that but what's very very impressive actually is that they managed to evolve each one of the archetypes both uh, in gameplay and when you of course when you play fighting games like we do you know that anakaris is basically the 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 the, the dalsim of the game 
but that tells him that that can fly. So that's uh, <laughs> right. That's yeah. some, that you, you a a, a dalzim that can be directly in your face if it wants to. Yeah, like, you, you, yeah. You take, <laughs> yeah. You take Victor for example. It's like the the, the Frankenstein creature. He's big. He's bulky. Oh, that's gonna be Zangief. But is because he also has the uh, Zangief Lariat. You know, but yeah. when you play him, you, you realize that uh, that's that's uh, Zangief with a with a dash. Zangief that can move, so that's frightening. And when he 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 throws you, he actually um, strangle you with his ass. With so, his yeah. <laughs> yeah, with his yeah, butt, and, you, and you're like, wow, that's so. That's that's the 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 the, the, the impressive things that you see the shadow of Street Fighter behind this game, but it's so unique at the same time and uh, maybe we can talk about the gameplay a bit later but the gameplay is the same you know that this is a street fighter you know skeleton but it's really different in the end yeah oh i can see the dalsim thing now i i hadn't thought about it that way <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure if that made it better or ruined it for me thank you thomas <laughs> in my mind as well sometimes i see a little bit of like t-hawk in there like with his mm. air attacks and things like that, his big leg kicks and things like that as well. But another bit of like spice that they added in was just the inclusion of like electricity as well. Because obviously, yeah. naturally, Frankenstein, people will obviously always be thinking about lightning strikes and, you know, the power needed to generate such a monster. But again, like one of my favorite things about him is just the fact that like he does that butt attack as well, like a big butt spin. And then, like, he sort of electrifies his body. And then, like, when it touches, like, he's, he's, he's glowing yellow and blue. Or, like, he can do a thing where he sort of, like, grabs you and then he puts two of his fingers together. And then, like, because of the electrical, like, charge created with, with like, the circuit, with, with his fingers touching, he does a big shock on you. Like, it's just really interesting how they took these concepts and then they played with them and made them into their own. Like, they didn't just say, okay, like, here, we're going to do the same kind of thing with, like, like, with Blanca. No, they just went and made it into such a zany, wacky, and really funny, in a sense, type character which is really cool there's there's also a lot of very i mean very uncommon characters because there's monsters but if you take a character like zabel they took the zombie trope and they were like okay this zombie is going to be english so why not and he's a rock star and he has a guitar and uh, he can fly and things like that he can like plane <laughs> that's that's very that's something you i think other companies um, could not make because they, they they probably had a you know an ambition to surpass Capcom at their own game, but Capcom actually surpassed itself by not making the same game, and yeah. that's very the, the the story that is very very interesting and important about this game. That okay, that's a kind of a, a kind of a, an, an ego thing, like we are better. Than the other, we're going to prove you that we are not a single game company, and um, and they did it. They really managed to do it. To do it, but it also, we just like I said before, it's not a big commercial. It it's it's a good one. It's correct, uh, especially in Japan, and uh, uh, but it didn't add the. Um, the, the 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 it didn't have the the weight of Street Fighter because if you look at the the legacy of uh, of the Vampire series today, uh, outside maybe of Morrigan, Lele, and uh, a few other characters, uh, mostly actually the female characters, <laughs> which uh, outside <laughs> outside of Morrigan, Felicia, and Lele, 
most most people don't know the other characters, and uh, most people that know these three female characters, they don't even know they come from Darkstalkers, you know, mm, from Vampire. And uh, we, uh. you see a lot of cosplay, uh, fan art, and things like that for those three characters, but not a lot for the others. So it's very impressive, but it's it didn't work as well as Street Fighter. Uh, one yeah. thing I, I wanted to uh, ask, I was curious if Rich, Richmond knew more about this, but actually, uh, so like I said, the first one I, I played was um, the second game, and uh, Lele, uh, what's not the American name, I forget her name, but I had never seen a character like that. Shinko? Shinko, yeah. Yeah, Shinko. Yeah, and uh, like I said, a lot of the, the archetypes I later realized were like kind of the universal classic monsters, but... Uh, Jenko is absolutely not an American monster of any type, yeah. and I, I, I was like pretty, I would say obsessed, but I was just like, the, the idea of it, I was like, wow, I've never seen something like it before, and I actually uh, was one of my first entries into learning a lot about Chinese culture, because I researched it. Um, nice. I was, and, and that's when I kind of learned about like uh, hopping vampires and stuff, but I just want to mention that was also a thing where they definitely evolved a number of really unique characters, so it wasn't just them being like, oh, here are archetypes. Um, that we can animate off of. Yeah, they, Definitely. I mean, they, they took an archetype, but they just added so much to it. Like, they, they gave the characters so much life. They, they you know, they, they became their own thing. Like, they weren't only tied to the archetype slash stereotype, which was, you know, the more common uh, formula for the time. Um, I, I want to I, I get into the characters, but before that, I, I just want to drop some, some important history on the game. Um, so the official story, if you look at like Wikipedia or uh, Capcom, uh, the Capcom fandom wiki, it'll uh, people credit uh, Alex Jimenez as, as the uh, original creator of uh, uh, Darkstalkers. Um, so he was a, a producer and consultant at uh, Capcom from 1991 to 1996, and he uh, helped them acquire a lot of uh, pretty key licenses like uh, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, Punisher. D and D, um, you know, Aliens versus Predator, X Men. Uh, so he he played a very important role. Those are all classic games, but um, he's also credited as creating uh, Darkstalkers, like the idea, and um, that's actually incorrect. Um, yeah. So it, it is correct that it, it was uh, they initially tried to do a Universal uh, Studios a game with the Universal mm -hmm. Studios monsters. So uh, you know, Universal Studios, old Hollywood studio. Uh, do, do they actually own the copyright to like Dracula and Frankenstein and cinema? Because I, I thought those were public domain characters. Um, I'm not sure how that worked, but mm -hmm. but you know the Universal monsters were like a thing, and um, so uh, yeah, like the official story in the Anglosphere is that Alex Jimenez uh, pitched the idea and he came up with the characters in under an hour. But actually, um, I. I, I I've been able to reach out to some of the people that worked on Dark Darkstalkers. Um, so there, there was a sprite artist at the time at Capcom. Uh, his name is Katsuya Akitomo, uh, a wonderful artist. He, uh, he, you know, he did um, he did the the spiral sprite for uh, Children of the Atom, right? Uh, yeah. Awesome, mm. legendary. He's one of the most amazing the sprites in the game. Uh, All those did, arms. Yeah, he did the uh, Xenomorph for Aliens vs. Predator. He told me that was his favorite. <laughs> that was the one he's most proud of. Um, and he was uh, he was sort of the 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 Westaboo of the team. He really loved like uh, Western comics and cinema. Um, so you know, Children of the Atom, Darkstalkers, those were in development around the same time. Yeah. And uh, on Children of the Atom, he 
he was such a big fan that he would actually translate the American comics for the team. <laughs> he would actually bring in the comics in English, translate them, and then like paste the Japanese translation physically into the word balloons, you know. Um, and then he was also actually the guy who said, oh, we should do like universal monsters. He was the guy who actually said, hey, can we look into this? Wouldn't it be cool to do like a game based off of these classic, you know, monsters? Um, and then I think it must have gone to Alex Jimenez after that. And, uh, you know, um, so I, I think sort of that, that got a little... Uh, Katsuya Akitomo's um, contributions have been overshadowed over time. But, uh, yeah, I just want to give a shout-out to him. You, you can follow him on Twitter, by the way. His, he's at SJXQR393. <laughs> totally very abstract handle. That's SJXQR393. That's the reason why I didn't mention it when I told when I spoke about the, the creation of the game. That's because there was a gray area that I knew about, but I wasn't sure. So I'm glad you we could uh, you know clear this out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he's spoken about it a little bit on Twitter, and um, I actually got to got to have lunch with him last year. That was one of the highlights of my career in games, but just reaching out to him. Like just, just, you know, chatting, spending an afternoon chatting about his good old days at Capcom. Really amazing dude. Awesome. Uh, I was, I was gonna add the the thing that you said, Rishan, about the uh, the public dom domain. I, I actually, um, I wasn't sure. I looked it up real quick. I wasn't sure if this had applied to Universal, but I know that companies like uh, Disney had definitely done it. So the 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 trick that a lot of companies pull was sort of a, it's definitely a tangent, but. Uh, Basically, you have a lot of these stories that are in the public domain, um, and what basically is done is, especially like this is actually pretty common in the 1930s and the 1940s in general. Uh, like I said, Disney did portions of this as well. Is uh, what they would do is they would they would put out a bunch of different films uh, from a public domain uh, type story, but then what they would do is they would copyright against specific characteristics. And then they would build out a number of films and media to place repetition on what they considered their version of that. So, like, mm. um, I don't know how they, I don't know how they did it for a lot of the Universal monsters. But if, if you look back at like why they're considered Universal, is because like 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, they were rendering it in a lot of film. So it's like one of those things where I think that's also why Dark Soccer's can get away with having a Frankenstein monster, having a vampire, because like those actual stories are in the public domain. But mm -hmm. I, a lot of large companies figured this trick out where you can be like, oh, well, we own the, you know, the, the putting the, the bat wings on it. We own the specific like bolts in the mm -hmm. neck. Like, so, so they basically, uh, and, and I believe that the trick was to put out like Bride of Frankenstein, Son of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein, like, so that they would create the <laughs> repetition for trademark. Uh, so, like, obviously, like, you, you can still make a thing, but you you can't use what are considered a lot of the iconic images. Like I said, Disney does this a lot, lot too. Um, and they're starting to do it, actually. It's actually uh, part of, uh, there's a portion of why um, Marvel does different versions of, like, Avengers and stuff like that as well. It's, and I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I, like I said, I, I looked it up real quick to see if that was exactly how Universal achieved it. Um, I didn't I didn't read into it too much, but that's okay. generally speaking uh, what would happen. Uh, 
for the big movie studios um, early on, back in the day when all of them were like, oh, we're going to need to own all the rights to all these things. So there's actually a bunch of really shitty movies out that they pumped out about different things just so that they could basically create the pattern of owning the rights to it. So, so that was interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. Like one thing which is also like semi interesting about it is just the fact that like each of the characters themselves, like they have like real world, like our world nationalities. For example, mm-hmm. like Dmitry Maximov is like nationality is Romanian, like uh, BB Hood's nationality, she's like European, like she's coming from somewhere that's most likely like the UK. But again, like people like um different characters like Weitzel, like they're from Mexico, Rico's from Brazil. Sienko's from China, John Talbain's from England, do you know what I mean? Like, it's interesting the way that they have that world map on the actual, like, um, character selection screen, and then they actually yeah. have it, like, right there for you to learn about and stuff. It's very cool. Yeah, let's dig into the characters, because I'm, I'm actually so glad that they did not get the universal license, and then they just yeah, had free reign to absolutely yeah. insane with the characters. Um, uh, Adam, I, I would love for you to talk about uh, your, your experience with uh, John, John Talbain, could, could, uh, yeah, absolutely. Could you get into that? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I myself, I'm a martial artist. I've been, like I said, I've been training since I was nine. I'm 24 now, so it's like a good 15 years of training time. But yeah, it's interesting just because there are so many different times where you think about why a character sort of like resonates with you and what it is that you enjoy about them. An interesting thing about John Talbain is the fact that he's a martial artist, but he's also a beast man at heart due to something in his own lineage. One of his own um, ancestors from years and years and centuries ago, they're actually a demon from like the region of the Mackay that uh, Morrigan's from, and they're one of like the seven lords and everything else like that. But he lives in, in England, just like I do, and um, he's been through different areas of adversity with his own different identity i'm a black man i've been through similar things here for sure and also we both study in martial arts it's really interesting just to see the whole the parallels there thinking about what it is like to be viewed in certain different kinds of ways and why and things like that and for things that you can't even control yourself and then also on top of all of that just a sort of like special link for like me and the character i suppose but like we both utilize like fighting and both utilize martial arts as a way to train and hone and get ourselves to be better versions of ourselves that we'd like to you know try and overcome also in all sorts of different challenges and personal things and things in life and in social life and it's interesting just because when you see a character like this and they are portrayed as a monster, they don't often have that general sense of that, that real that real introspective sense of self. Do you know what I mean? Like the ability to sort of like really dissect oneself and think about, okay, why do I feel this way? I feel this way because of these things happening around me. But be present and to actually say that. Like one of his own quotes, actually, which is one of my favorite, when he wins, he says, what do you, when you look at me, what do you see? Do you see a man or a beast? And it's like, it's really interesting just to think about how it is that he knows that people are viewing him as a monster, but he knows in, within himself that he isn't one. And again, through his own struggles and through his own trials and tribulations, he sticks with his martial arts. He even finds a master of his own that like, I just like I found, I found a really, really strong um, teacher in a man called Mark Richardson, used to be one of the world, he literally used to be the world number three at Taekwondo back in the 80s, ended up teaching me, all different things like this. It's very interesting to think about the, the real life parallels that you can find within characters like this. And also like fun fact with the same height, 
yeah, well, he's 6'1", I'm 6'1", and we fight within the same, like, weight category. He's a 70-kilogram <laughs> character. I fight within, like, 70 to 80 kilograms. So, like, when I first, like, really started thinking about why I love this character, I was like, okay, yeah, the, it, it must be something to do with this as well because, like, you, in, in a way, like, obviously I'm not a werewolf, but, I mean, like, you see yourself in different <laughs> aspects in media, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, it's things like that that I really enjoy. Yeah, that's awesome that you could uh, connect to this character so on on so many levels. One of my favorites of all time. James, James, who who is your uh, favorite character? Let, let's say just for the first Darkstalkers. The, the yeah, first everyone, get, everyone tells you favorites. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna keep this specific to Darkstalkers. Um, the first character that I actually played was Dimitri. Um, I, at that time as a kid, like, I always liked characters that embodied a certain sense of cool. It was like, my brain was just like, I am thirsty for cool, aesthetically confident characters. And when I looked at that character select screen, uh, you know, I toggled over it for a while. Um, and you would think, oh, okay, you're probably going to pick, like, Morgan or whatever based on, like, how you like to play. But I didn't know any of that information. So you just, I'm just looking at these characters for, like, the first time. Um, I almost picked Bishamon first because uh, mm. I was a big Strider fan. And if you were cool with his sword, that was a thing. But he was a little too creepy for me because uh, <laughs> at the time, like, I was scared of scary things. So, you know, when I saw his character, I was like, nah. And I looked at Dimitri and I was like, this guy looks really cool. There's something about his presence and his face. And I was like, I want to know more about him starting out. So I ended up playing Dimitri first. Um, he also reminded me of Ryu. Uh, there was something about the art to me at the character select screen that, I mean, yeah, most of them are facing like three quarter, like forward. Like that's like a, a thing. And it reminded me a lot of Super Turbo, but it gave me an idea of like, just seeing their whole face and seeing like what they were about. And Dimitri was the, the one that I went with first. And uh, I think it had a lot to do with like, I made this joke at SCAD about characters standing right or correctly. And this is a side, slight, slight tangent. In Resident Evil 4, when Leon doesn't have a weapon in his hand, he has a different like idle animation and he looks cool as shit. And it was something that I didn't articulate until that game came out, but I think it started with this game. Dimitri, his, his idol animation of him standing is the, in, the embodiment of, like, pure confidence. Like, when you look at him, it's just like, he's like, I have everything that I need. I am the greatest looking man in the world, and I'm going to beat the shit out of you, and I'm also a vampire. Like, so when I saw this, I was like, no. I was like, I don't, I, I was like, I'm not cool with you being a vampire, but, like, you're cool. <laughs> Is it, isn't the entire story of the game, at least the first one, surrounding around how, that's how Dimitri thinks of himself? Yeah, Pretty much. Yeah, ironically <laughs> enough, like, I mean, in my brain, I was like, that is what I feel, and I was like, I want to play this character. And and, and I, I think I, st I saw him, like, like, after he does the transformation, right? Like... It's just, when you look at him, I'm like, wow, he's standing so straight and upright and tall and just, it's like, and he's not the tallest character in the game, but he is the tallest character in the game in terms <laughs> of the feel. And, he feels it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was something I went with. I looked at all his normals and they were like super stretched out. 
there was nothing timid about how he attacked. And I was like, I felt like even though I didn't know what I was doing, I was the winner. Like, and I think <laughs> I did like, I think I did short forward. I didn't do short forward roundhouse yet because I wasn't sure how chain combos worked. But like, I did short forward fierce. I think I think it was a three. Yeah, and I did that. And it something about how that felt. It was just like, I love this character. Uh, his low fierce. I think he swipes his arm. And, like, his, his cape, like, follows through with it. And I was just like, that is the coolest thing <laughs> in the world. Uh, so I was really hooked on the aesthetic of Dimitri just being this confident vampire that is of sort of some sort of regal uh, upbringing. And I was just like, I was really into how cool he was. But his backdash did it for me. I was like, how can you stylishly uh, speculate what your opponent is going to do? while you're retreating defensively. Like, that is the coolest thing in the world. Like, he's just, like, leaning back, right? It's kind of relaxing. He's, he's he, well, he's, he's, he's actually, like, it's almost as if he's sitting on, like, an invisible chair, and he yeah. has, like, a pensive gesture where he has his <laughs> hand to his face. And, you know, this is telling how old I am, but uh, I used to watch this show called Mr. Wizard on Nickelodeon, and there's a part in the intro where... He shows, like, God, I can't think of the statue's name. I feel dumb for that. But he's in a thinking posture similar to Dimitri. And it made me think of that, where it was just like, this is a cool, calculated man assessing how he is going to beat the shit out of you. He just needs a moment. And I backdashed a lot because it just looked cool. <laughs> like, I was just like, wow, I am enjoying how this looks. Like, this is a very cool character. Um, and even his dash forward is amazing because his cape is fluttering. Like it's a very cinematic experience. Just just moving with uh, Dimitri, um, yeah. you know. It's it's sort of like when he does. Uh, God, what is his fireball called? Uh, yeah, well, his fireball. Uh, his cape flutters, and again, mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like this experience where you're feeling the experience of him gaining the energy and it trailing through him and forward. Kind of like it was almost like an experiment that they were working on with uh, Ryu in Street Fighter 3 when he throws a fireball, because when he throws a fireball, that power, like, pushes through his back. Like, you see, like, there's a certain force of his gi where it's pushing back. Uh, and that also creates for, like, a very cinematic experience where you're really feeling, like, the the the, the source of movement all around him. Uh, and that's something that I really enjoyed about Dimitri. Uh, side note, I actually thought he was saying I love Satan when he was doing Demon Cradle. Uh, <laughs> wow. just very happy about it <laughs> it was just like what you know but i learned later on you saying demon cradle but uh you know uh yeah he was just a really, a really cool character um and that's who i started with just because uh he created an experience for me that i had never felt with any other character in street fighter even though it was familiar yeah yeah i um a, a friend of mine pointed out something interesting to me about dimitri um so if if you look at his characteristics, right, he, he's this high-born vampire. He's very proud of his noble heritage, mm-hmm. right, and uh, he, you know very confident in himself. And uh, yeah, he's got that uh, strong widow's peak. He's very competitive with the main main character, Morgan. Right? Ah, I see. Yeah, and um, his uh, his fireball, the the chaos flare. It looks exactly like Vegeta's final flash. Like uh, I think, yeah. I think he was actually inspired by Vegeta, right? Sort of the yeah, really, it's really oh, yeah, yeah. personality. Yeah, that's just the Vegeta hair. Yeah, yeah. I do like Vegeta. <laughs> and yeah, he carries that himself. is one of my favorite characters too. Yeah, 
Uh, he carries himself yeah. like how you'd think other characters would if they were like even more regal than like they would even think that they are. So, for yeah. example, like we know Morrigan's very playful, even though she's literally like, the daughter of like one of the like the most powerful like person in the realm. But like she's so she's so you know laissez-faire about it. But I mean, again, people like Dimitri, they just like it's like they want all of the power themselves, and then like they're proving themselves to themselves. If that makes sense, like he's always he's always got something to prove. He's always trying to act like super regal all the time. Like I definitely agree. Very Vegeta-like. Yeah, yeah he's, he's got a chip on his shoulder, you know? And then Morgan's, like, just happy-go-lucky. <laughs> exactly, and, yeah. Yeah. It's like the yeah, same pride of Dark yeah, Stalkers. Yeah, yeah. And they both love spandex. Like, that, that, that spandex, <laughs> the skin-tight tuxedo is, like, that, that is quite the power play. <laughs> such, a, <laughs> such a crazy outfit. It really is, though. Like, it's so ridiculous, but they make it look awesome. <laughs> Oh man, uh, uh, Thomas, uh, um, I'm not sure I have a favorite in the first game because I'm playing um, I'm playing Jeddah mm. in Sevier, uh-huh. and uh, but uh, I also played a lot of Bishaman uh, in Sevier at some time, so I will say Bishaman. It's not like my favorite design, but that's the the, the game I uh, the the character I played the most. Yeah, but, the playstyle's uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, the playstyle is super great. And uh, yeah, I think that's all. <laughs> Fair. John, which which character left out at you? Uh, I think I sort of mentioned it before, uh, not to to copy AJ, but like I'm a huge uh, fan of John Talbane. Uh, uh, he, he left out at me because <laughs> like the you pick up on him immediately. He's a werewolf martial artist. Like yeah. that's, that's not to like. Uh, I did play a lot of uh, Felicia as well, but. That had um, less to do with. I mean, I, I always thought her stage was really fun, the Vegas stage. Um, but I, it's just like a lot of, a uh, lot of fun to play. Like her animation and like the the bouncing. Like if any, uh, uh, James knows this very well. That my approach to fighting games is not to win. It's to make sure that I make it as annoying as possible for you to beat me. <laughs> and that means that I, I'm one of those <laughs> players that I I really enjoy doing. Uh, basically like combos that start with jumping and Felicia is a character where you get a lot of benefit out of jumping around a lot and it looks really mm-hmm. cool. Um, same thing with uh, John Talbain with his, uh, his uh, the, the kind of the movement fireball thing that you can spam the yeah. shit out of in later games. And it's yeah, super annoying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I believe he's all, I believe he's also the beginnings of like Magneto's jumping around house, but that's that's okay. a whole other story. But I do feel that he was like the template for certain mm-hmm. angles of uh, aerial attacks. Um, again, yeah, this game definitely does things that other games didn't, and I feel like he was one of those characters that the angles that his attacks hit, similar to Morgan, that there's something about the way his body stretches out in terms of like the posture and composition of some of his air normal attacks that were kicks. Like I felt like he was the beginnings of like what Magneto's jumping roundhouse was and what that was for like 10 years. But again, that's a, and, we'll talk about that. I was, was going to say that uh, another thing about John Talbain that I really like is uh, the fact that he, he like, he goes up and down between all fours when he runs and stuff like that. Yes. Like that, like you, you would, you, you would think the temptation, especially giving him a karate belt and and making him so lean, is that he would act like a human. But he really feels like a dog, <laughs> and yeah, that, yeah. Like, and that's why I think it's he's he's so funny. He feels, um, 
he, he doesn't just feel like, oh, this is a werewolf, whatever. Like, they really did a good job with expressing the character. And that's, like I said, that's also why I always kind of enjoyed the, uh, ultimately, the dog and cat thing, is that both of them do a very good job of feeling like an extension of you because of uh, the way that they play. Like, it, it never, like, the animation feels are so responsive. Like I said, Felicia, I can't explain if I'm talking about, like, the way that she balls up and bounces, like, you really feel like you're bouncing around like a cat. Like, it feels so responsive. And the animation really, like, hammers it home. So uh, I, I played, like, a ton of them in the first few games. I think uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into later games. Like, in Savior, I started uh, having other favorite characters. But And also, like I said, the first game starts with this the silhouette of John Talbain doing his werewolf thing. But the silhouette is so cool. It's much, like, his tail especially is very uh, spiky and... Uh, then, like, even when they lead into that, you know that really awesome sprite shot that they pan across at the beginning that mm -hmm. uh, I've actually made it my life's work to see if I can find, like, a good print of that because I want it on a wall somewhere? Uh, mm -hmm. The one where, like, uh, Victor's, like, kind of towering in the background. Yeah, and, in the clouds, uh, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, yeah, but uh, John Talbain is up front with that, and I think even in that piece of art, uh, you can see that, you know, the, some of the original illustrations where his teeth are super gnarly looking in yeah. the front shots. Like, I love all that, um, that depiction. Like, to me, it's just such a creative way to, to come at a, a werewolf. And, uh, you know, it's, I've always really enjoyed all, like, the kind of martial artists style referential characters. I think as they went farther on with John Talbain, he started having a lot of mannerisms and uh, references to different martial artists um, in, like, idle animations or victory animations. I always really enjoyed that. Definitely. Even when he wins and he does a little like, tch, 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 like that little yeah. thing as well. Like, it, it's just yeah. it's super cool. Mm -hmm. Like just seeing the way that he moves, the way that he, you know, carries himself, like all of it. Even when he's um just, you know, idling and he sort of just he does that little growl and he starts like yeah. sort of shivering back and forth. Like it's so carnal and feral, but sort of restrained in a sense. Like he's yeah. like he's utilizing that beast like nature within himself to like push his martial arts even further. It's it's really cool. Yeah, he definitely yeah. tells a story just standing there. Exactly, yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of great. Uh, not to get into the second game, but I love that, like, <laughs> they they beef up that intro by having, like, when he howls in the second intro, there's something about the timing of that in terms of the music that they use that yeah. it just mm. it pumps you up. Because there's no music playing. Well, there's, like, ambient music. There's, like, an ambient layer to the beginning of that track. And it's like he's like the super sauce to that when he does his howl, and then the actual track jumps in, and it's just like it grabs your attention so much. And I love that he is the he's like the hype man of the intro. And I don't think mm. I've seen a Capcom intro where a character audibly hypes you up for a game that he's already in in that specific way. <laughs> like there's, there's something about the timing of that. It's 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 incredible. Do, do y'all know, um, I know that he his win pose, he like wags his finger at you. I feel like it's a reference to someone, but I never did check into it. I feel like that's like, it could be like a Bruce Lee reference. There's something about the cockiness. A little, a little bit Not Bruce Lee. Not like, yeah. very confident, uh, you know, gesture where I, I, maybe because he actually uses nunchucks for some of his moves too, yeah. like later on, like maybe that might be what I'm, what makes me think it's a Bruce Lee reference. But there's something about the confident air that he has when he does it. It makes me think of Bruce Lee. Oh, I, yeah. I think it's definitely a Bruce Lee reference, yeah. 
Yeah. I've heard it make. I've heard that noise like made in actual like sparring sessions or in actual like martial arts settings within like different sectors of taekwondo. What like my really? version of it, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like that, my version is um okay. So I do WTF, which is um a, a different variation. But um yeah, a lot of people in another one called ITF, like that I've met anyway, they make that noise. It's kind of like an air release. We do want we do want. It's called a kiap, which means like a yell in Korean. So I'm not gonna do that. So it's a big shout. But yeah, you will. You can imagine okay. what it would be like. But yeah, a lot of other people, they've done that kind of like that kind of sound. And I, I've heard that before. So when I heard him do that, obviously after the victory animation, I was like, wow. Like it feels like it's almost like a very interesting kind of a taunt in a sense, but also a nod to obviously, again, other martial artists and stuff. So it, it's just brilliant just to sort of be able to weave all of these things and put them together because they, they absolutely can fit. Yeah. I just wanted to, while we're on the John Tommy topic, I just wanted to mention that uh, I feel like my vivid memories of Dark Suckers are pretty much like punctuated by the the John Talbane, like the woo when he's doing the uh, <laughs> yeah exactly the, like that and just doing it over and over again, like it brings joy to my heart to think of doing that to someone because, like I said, it's fun and it's annoying for them too. Oh, that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what. Well, it's what I do. Yeah, that's that's like my key up. Yeah, that that there's a back there's a backflip kick move called the climb laser that he does, and like that's that's what that move is. It's basically like a flash kick. So yeah, it's very very cool. Yeah, I want to just mention one more thing like, very very quickly. Like the um the beast cannon itself. Like you find this move a lot in a lot of different games. They've got different homages to it. Like most notably even like Beowulf and Skullgirls. Like he has the same exact type of move. But yeah, um, the actual piece of artwork for that, it changed a lot from game to game. So mm. like in the very first iteration, it actually looks like fire. If you actually get get a chance to, you know, go and check it out. Like yeah. it actually does look a lot like, you know, there it is. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. But yeah, it actually, it actually looks like fire, like literal, like flames are coming off them. But like they kind of glow a bit bluish, a bit orangish. It, it's definitely very cool to look up. So I think you guys should. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look that up right now. Happen on Fighters Generation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like Calvin is really, um, he, he, he's very representative of the game as a whole. Like, you know, you guys mentioned just he's, he's half man, half beast. Um, but, but he's got so much more, right? He's, he's got such a human heart. Uh, the animations are very ferocious, but also like very disciplined. Like he, he's sort of at the intersection of all of these different archetypes, and the fact that they they pull it off so well is so cool. Like it, it's, oh my gosh, you could learn so much from from studying this game and this character. Um, you, you know that I I thought about this uh, about John Talbain when watching uh, an anime this year. I think that's. Um, uh, it's called uh, Brand New Animal, and uh, the main character oh, yes. is a wolf, and he has this same, a bit this same, uh, you know, um, uh, attitude of, uh, you know, strong, very strong wolf man-like. And uh, when watching the anime, I was like, wow, that that's just a bit like John Talbain, and uh, oh, sure, that's yeah. interesting. But that's uh, that's a, a t that's a tangent again. Sorry. Oh no, that's <laughs> very cool. Yeah. yeah. I I remember just seeing the, his sprite for the first time. Like his tail was just mesmerizing. That that mm. that fluffy tail. Uh, that's such an interesting choice too, because it's it's so friendly, right? Like mm -hmm. I I think the the obvious thing to do would be to just you know ramp him up to ten with the ferocity all the time. But I feel like the the tail balances him out. It's it's familiar, right? Like uh, you know anyone that's been around like a a, a happy 
friendly dog will like kind of be familiar with that the rhythm of uh, you know how his tail moves, and it uh, it makes it more more familiar and grounded in a way. I don't know. It just adds more depth. Like it, it's mm-hmm. he's not just like a wild animal. Like he he's capable of a broad range of emotions and, and projecting those onto the player. Yeah, and uh, his his design is really unusual too. I, I remember as a kid, just just I, I loved all these characters. Like, there's very few games where like every single character was appealing. Like every single one, and they were all so different. And I, I would draw these characters all the time. And I, I remember drawing John Taldane. I was like, this is a weird design. Like his his snout is like very narrow, right? Like it's almost like it's like a throwback to like early cartoons, <laughs> like really, really early, like super stylized, like you know, um, he's really cartoony. And like yeah, it, if you like, if you look at the, the art by Bengus again, you'll see that all the character, all the character arts that are not like big round characters like Sasquatch or yeah. or maybe. Um, Oh, oh did, I forgot Whittle. the uh, Piran. No, but yeah. not Piran. Oh. Uh, Phobos, Phobos. Sorry. Whittle, Phobos. Yeah. 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 If you look, if you look at the artworks, you'll see that the 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 head of in on the art is super small. Yeah. The body is super tall and lean. So you yeah. you see this waist, the waist of Talbain is, is John Talbain is super super small too. That's very an, an aesthetic from the. From the game, actually, from the, the the first first game. Yeah, yeah, I think um, they. This was the first game where they really, really pushed the proportions like that, you know. And they did it in a very special Capcom way, because like mm. you, the, Capcom does this thing where they push stuff and you feel it, but you don't necessarily consciously notice it, right? Yeah. Like okay, like for instance, uh, Street Fighter Five. If you look at uh, Fang. Right, like he's obviously very stylized. Right, people sort of bring him up as a sort of a an example of like, oh, you know, they're going back to being cartoony. But you look at him; he's he's obviously really tall. He's obviously got like a very thin, you know, uh, oval head. Um, you, you notice the design elements, whereas like when you see John Talbain, you see this ferocious, awesome werewolf guy, and then you you look deeper. You're like, oh, he's also a martial artist, and then you look deeper, and you're like, oh, he's, you know, he's got that nice fluffy tail. And then if you sit down and draw him, you're like, oh my god, like his waist is so thin. He's he's real thin at the waist. Mm. And then he's got like a really shaggy back, actually, like much longer than you would typically stylize uh, for, for a wolf or a dog if you were drawing one as a cartoon. They really push that. And then his hands are humongous. <laughs> like his 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 mittens mm. are huge. His feet are giant, but like it all comes together in a very naturalistic way. So it's it's so dynamic without drawing too much attention to itself. It's so balanced. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I really like about Talbain, and I guess this is like more of a retrospective sort of thing that I appreciated, was like after I watched Cowboy Bebop and I experienced it, like, and I played mm-hmm. with this character, I'm like. You've got jazzy background like music. You're this confident dude who has this troubled past that is like restraining yourself all the time. You know, like like super disciplined, but you come off as effortless. And I was just like, what the Spike Spiegel is going on with this character? Like, <laughs> like I was just like, and I was, and I really enjoyed because he's not my favorite character in the game, but I like playing as him. Uh, and I was thinking about like. 
just how much like you were like you're a werewolf jazz messenger like what the <laughs> like like it was just like really cool that when i thought about it i was like because i've never thought of like jazz when i'm thinking of like a werewolf right like and then it's like you're a martial artist you seem to be inspired by bruce lee and you're just you have an aesthetic that is all your own like it just like even in retrospect it's like i gain more appreciation for all of the character designs in this game like this is like 2020 we're talking about a game that was made in like the mid early 90s and it still seems there's still something fresh to gain from it i mean and that, that, that's an accomplishment definitely definitely I think it's really interesting as well, just thinking about, like, the fact that, again, like, they really did hone in on, like, the martial artist aspect. Like, I've drilled, like, certain techniques and moves for, like, thousands and thousands of hours of my life just thinking about it now. And it's just the fact that, like, when he moves, like, when you watch him, when you look at him, when he throws somebody, when he hits someone with a punch or with a kick, you can tell exactly, like, the fact that he has trained these moves, he has practiced, you know what I mean? And then, obviously, that is in direct contrast with the the beast-like nature of him, but it's so cool. Even the fact that he has, like, nunchucks that he just can pull out, like, and utilize, or even for his, um, for that one move... What are you called? It's a it's a drag a dragon cannon. That's it. Where he again he presents the um the nunchucks like right at you and he forces his arms out and then these two you know twirling dragons in a very Overwatch uh, Overwatch sense they sort of like fly forwards and they they explode and they they burst the enemy into flames and stuff. It's it's absolutely fantastic the way that they've managed to sort of put two very contrasting things together, which I think can be said about all the characters in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I agree a lot. That, that's something we talked a lot about during the uh, Guilty Gear podcast, you know, about the just, oh man, how did they come up with these characters, right? And I, I feel like the seed of that was planted with, with Darkstalkers, even, even more so than, uh, you know, Street Fighter 2, which was, yeah, like, uh, it's kind of based off of a single archetype, like, uh, emulated a lot, whereas, like, Darkstalkers is like, oh my gosh, like, they pushed stuff so far from like just mm-hmm. the source so while we're while we're still talking about john saw vane uh i have to and w- this is also something that i've noticed a lot about the other characters is his color theory is really good as he has a uh basically he has a complementary color scheme the yellow belt and purple pants oh, yeah. um, I, I feel like again like uh, all these fighting games we're talking about these artists like whether or not they're going out of their way to do it i feel like um since we talk about it so much when we're talking about fighting games, is I, I feel like it must be something that is important for a moving uh, character for you to keep track of it on top of a complicated background. So oh, sure. this is actually very similar to what we were talking about with uh, Nagoyuki in Guilty Gear Strive, where he's principally a white and neutral colored character, um, but they use uh, complementary colors and like small kind of pops of color to draw attention because his nails are also like got the little bit of yellow from the tail. Yeah. Yeah. So they draw and his eyes have the yellow. So like they, they dotted across uh, the character. And then of course, like the, the purple, like you can't use too much of it against the yellow, but having that, the, the belt splotch a little bit is, uh, is a, like I said, I, I, I can't help but think that that is really intentional color theory. And I would bet if we, as we start looking at other characters, that all of them have something like that. Because I feel like, yeah, again, we, we talked about how like color theory isn't always something in school or when you're learning that seems like it's very applicable. But um, when you're when you have <laughs> so little to work with uh, in terms of you you can't put all these colors. I think this is something we talk about with like 
earlier Tekken games really struggle with this. They put too much stuff on the character, and it mm -hmm. makes it very hard to keep track of the, the action and what's going on. And there's something about the visual clarity of them understanding how to create such, like, 3D, real-feeling characters. Like, they have a ton of detail in them, uh, but they really um, didn't use a lot of color. To me, it's something that's always been really impressive about, like, um, a lot of modern, uh, older anime styles is how how little color and how little detail they actually need to put in order for something to feel realized in 3D and volumetric. That's something, yeah. in a, if you want to take a, a recent game that uh, applies this very well, you take uh, Under Night in Birth, which is yes. a game that has very, mm -hmm. very, uh, uh, yes. very, it's very, it's very economical in terms of uh, design and uh, and has like color details and color hints there and there and a uh, very interesting game for uh, about colors too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I just yeah. want to add, um, you know, I mean, Darkstalkers, CPS2 board, it was a literal limit. They only had uh, 16 colors to work with. And one of those had to be transparency. So really, they only had 15 colors wow. for Sprite. So they <laughs> really had to make it work. But um, because of that, because of that forced limit, you know, you, you have to really optimize. And, uh, you know, for a game, the, you have to optimize for clarity. Right. That, that's if, if you can't make out the character clearly, they, you, you just can't play them. And that, that's one of the reasons why I think uh, the game is so timeless and why, um, you know, it's still worth it. Even if you are a, a, a younger, new developer, right, like these games <laughs> might have been made before you were born. Uh, they're still very much worth going back to and studying. Like they, they, they just have a very, very refined design sets that is still very applicable today, even though we don't have these limits. Um, you know, in a way, it's harder. It, it can, you know, as creators, I'm sure you've, we've all felt like a possibility paralysis, right? Like looking at a blank canvas. So, so a lot of times it's good to just impose limits, um, you know, like they did uh, back in the day. Oh, man. Um, all right, all right. I think we're, we're coming up on two hours uh, on this podcast. Um, so I think we should uh, wrap stuff up pretty soon. But um, this this will be a multi-part series, right? I think just like we did with Guilty Gear, I'd like to uh, meet again with, uh, with you all and, uh, you know, continue dissecting each game. Um, anyone want to, like, uh, close this out? Any closing comments? Sure, I just want to say something that yeah. this has been it, it's been it's been a ton of fun. I look forward to all of the next ones. And yeah, if anyone would like, my name's obviously it's Adam Jerome Mattis, but I go by AJ or just Adam on Twitter. But you could probably follow me over at, at AJ Mattis. That's just it. A J M A T T I S. You'll follow me over there. Thanks. Right. Yeah. Um... Yeah, please, please give uh, AJ a follow. And, um, dude, please post more of your pixel art online. I, I, I love seeing it. I, I hope yeah. to see more. Yeah. Big thanks. It means a ton. It means a ton. It's stuff like this that got me into doing that in the first place, this and Pokemon. But, I mean, honestly, yeah, it's just um, it's so good to hear and see so many other people like all of you guys having these wonderful conversations. And you're all so knowledgeable. So it's just it's beautiful to hear. It's great. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I greatly really right. appreciate it, man. Yeah, let's, um, okay, uh, next week, let's get back together. Let's continue uh, discussing this, this <laughs> very awesome, very influential <laughs> series. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like we all have very good meter management right now. 
Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I feel like we've all been saving our super for round two, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, gonna show some restraint, just just like John Talbane. We won't exactly turn this into like a three-hour extravaganza tonight. <laughs> but which one? I wanted to talk about the gameplay. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I mean, there's, there's, Next there's so much to get into. I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think I think uh, the gameplay stuff will probably come up more so in uh, Vampire Savior because it's no 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 no. And on the next one, I uh, I have to, to to deep dive because that's uh, we, we talked about oh it was you know a very different take from an aesthetic perspective, mm-hmm. but from a gameplay perspective, we are witnessing the the birth of a real new. Um, type of fighting game with this game that's so, true uh, that's so true. we'll have we'll have to to go deep inside because i mean when i mentioned we'll, we'll overheads, have a deep when I mentioned <laughs> yeah. overheads i was like oh, i don't know if i should have said that right now yeah, yeah. that's why I, that's why i kind but, of cut back i was like let me not ne- go but next time know. because we, we we can we can uh sum up a little bit the the, the first two games together and uh, how it evolved from you know the the Alpha beta game, which is the one, mm. and the real <laughs> first one with game, gameplay wise, uh, which is the second one, <laughs> like Alpha One and Alpha Two. So yeah, I'll talk about yeah. this uh, later. But oh, I, yeah. but I, but it, it was like I felt I was like, nah, let me not, because this will turn into a very long. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, folks. Well, um, please uh, tune in. Tune in next week as well. Uh, we'll. We'll take a deeper dive into the gameplay. Um, and thank you for listening. Uh, if If you want to follow the Art Eater uh, podcast, uh, we're on Twitter at Art Eater Podcast, just one word. Um, uh, and of course, you know, uh, all the podcasts are wherever. Uh, hopefully, wherever you you listen to your podcast, you know, Stitcher, Apple. Um, if we missed anything, let us know. Um, and of course, you can go to arteater.com. That's A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R.com. Uh, all, all the podcasts are up there. Um, and you know, check out some articles while you're there, too. Okay. So thanks for listening. Uh, tune in next week. Peace. Bye. 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 Bye.